everybody. It's Tanya Adlita from both the Single Parent Summit and Recovering Church Girls. And I'm here today with Pamela and Lane Nichols, a dear, dear friend. And I'm going to explain to you why I'm introducing both podcasts in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you a little bit more about Pamela Elaine. Aside from being just an amazing person and a dear friend, she's also an author of Muddy High Heels. And she specifically helps divorce women find their greatness and really return to that greatness and embellish that and enhance it even more. So Pamela Elaine, thank you so much for being here. I am honored to be here with you, Tanya. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, it's so funny because we were having the conversation right before we started recording of, okay, well, we've got a lot of things in common here. Do we go the single parent summit direction or do we go recovering church girls direction? Mm -hmm. And Pamela Lane had the brilliant idea. She's like, well, let's just do both because really they kind of cross over more Mm -hmm. often than I think so much of us would like to identify and to be able to really take a step back and look at how our upbringing in the church and a lot of the foundational ways of thinking, especially as it relates to a patriarchal society, how that informed who we were or how we behaved in our marriages, and then, of course, then who we become as divorced moms. So it's like, all right, hold on to your horses because we are going deep in 17 different directions. (laughs) That's pretty much where this is going to (laughs) go. All right. So having said all of that, uh, can you take us take us back to kind of your childhood? Give us an intro into who you were back then and who you've become now. Well, you know, I've always been a seeker of truth and a lover of truth. When I was uh, a little girl, my parents raised us in the Baptist church, which was which was fine because I didn't know anything differently. Um, As I grew into a teenager, I discovered a different religion, which is Kojic, Church of God, well, you know, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, where you weren't allowed to wear makeup, jewelry, uh, no, certain clothes were forbidden, couldn't go to the movies, couldn't dance, very restrictive. Okay, so hold on just a second, though, because I always thought that the Baptist religion was pretty strict in and of itself. You're telling me the Church of God in Christ was even further on that extreme. That's what I'm telling you. All yeah. right. All right. Yeah. Up. <laughs> now, um, yeah, it was. And so I joined, joined this church and became a part of their philosophy, came, embraced the philosophy. And one of the things that stands out for me in this conversation immediately while you were making the introduction is the word submissive. Mm. And being submissive <laughs> is something I carried into my first marriage and my second marriage, both of which mm. in Mm-hmm. Right there with you on, on both counts and on this underlying philosophy being far more present than I ever realized until until I finally did. And isn't that the fun thing about self-awareness? Like once you gain it, boy, do you have it. And there is no letting go of that level of awareness. Yeah. And certainly wasn't, I mean, I was obviously in this belief fog. And, and again, you know, I just want to say on the outset, you know, 
this is not, I am not attempting to put down any religion at all. This is my personal story, my personal journey. And maybe some of the things that I say and you say will enlighten those who are listening. Being submissive, and, and you know what's so funny? This is not funny, but I, just <laughs> talking about this, my stomach is churning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, it's in knots, which means that there's still something to be uncovered here for me. Mm. And, and, I, and I hope that those who are listening just lock into what might be coming up for them too. Yeah, I love that that advice. And I think uh, to echo what you just said a minute ago also, that these are indeed our own true stories as we experience them. And that's something that we, we hold to pretty tightly within Recovering Church Girls. Mm. We honor the individual journeys. And mm. so many of us have a shared experience, but a lot of us thought we were the only ones yeah. because we never had a safe place to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for mentioning that specifically. And also, also about the physical reaction. Yesterday, I had a conversation, one of our episodes for Recovering Church Girls, and it uncovered things for me that I had completely either forgotten mm-hmm. or intentionally blocked. Yeah. And man, talk about the physical manifestation of those emotions. So yeah, I think that that's a really important thing to call out because yeah. as we are going deep and we're talking about real stuff that a lot of us have experienced for 10, 20, 30, 40, years that stuff leaves a mark yeah and and you know i i want people to think about and and again submission is is my word that i'm using that was a bit because you were asking you know we were trying to make the connection between the two and and submission was probably the the thing that being submissive was probably the act that caused the greatest um breakdown in my relationship Mm. because and I wonder if this is true for anyone else who is listening. It's because in being submissive, I also gave up my truest self. Yes. And I'll give you an example. I'm like, yes, yes. I'm ready to like preaching here. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So my first marriage, I married at 18. My husband at that time grew up in a household where his mother was submissive to his father. She had six children. She didn't work. She stayed home and took care of the kids. That was the very thing that my husband expected of me, Mm. to stay home. There were no kids because I was 18. Well, that doesn't mean you can't have any kids, but I was 18. (laughs) (laughs) And there were no kids. But he wanted me to stay home and manage the household, iron his clothes, clean the kitchen, have dinner ready when he came home. And that's what I did. But at the same time, I wanted to go and work, Mm. to find myself in employment, to, he he was okay with me going to school, but there were other things I wanted to do. So I lost myself in being obedient Mm -hmm. to the husband, only to later resent it and Mm -hmm. resent him. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward that into my second marriage, where Submission, again, was running in the background. This is what you do. You're submissive to your husband. And what, and and it was a little bit the flip because I followed my husband to his various great new opportunities, employment. So I would leave one job, 
in order to follow him to his next great gig, mm-hmm. only then to leave to get another job and leave that for his next gig, and mm-hmm. constantly three times over. Wow, being submissive to his work because that's what a good wife does, mm-hmm. right? and that and at that time we have kids, and that's what a good mother does too, only to resent that effort, that act, because I was losing myself again, mm-hmm. giving myself away to someone else because submission is what is called. And if you don't submit, you're not a good woman, mm-hmm. you're not a Christian, you're mm-hmm. not a good wife. Mm-hmm. I'm having a hot flash yeah. on that one, girl. I know, right? Can <laughs> <laughs> you uh, see just- me sweating? Oh I, am not, I am no longer afraid of the sweating and afraid and feeling bad that I am in that stage of life. So oh, everyone's great. There, you're watching it happen in real time. In real time. There you go. I'm turning on the fan ahead of up. So I apologize if there's extra noise coming through. Nope. But. I think you're good. I think you're good. Okay, great. Yeah. I think that, I mean, first of all, I'm like, uh-huh. Hell yeah. To everything you just said um, that I can completely identify and I can even pick out the moments throughout the course of my life that I was in exactly the same position. Mm. And I think that the very first thing that I can really own in the end of my marriage to my kid's dad is is exactly that scenario, that I gave myself up for what I thought was being a good Christian wife. And I think that, you know, in retrospect now, And actually, I have to say I'm grateful for that experience in that it certainly helped informed my second marriage and was a huge piece of why it was so short, because Mm -hmm. I could see the warning signs for what they were. And there was a there was an emotionally abusive relationship in the in between. And again, because of that experience, I was able to see the bullying and the gaslighting and the narcissism and all the rest of it. And I was like, nope, done, done and done. Uh, so, it, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, man, I wish I could have avoided all of that heartache. And clearly that's just not, <laughs> not possible. But I think that's why we talk about it now. Because you know we've what? come far enough out of it that we can see it for what it is and we can help other people who either are already in it, just don't see maybe what it is, or help them avoid it altogether. The work that you are doing is fabulous in that you all are talking about it together and then you're also bringing it to the community. Because here's the thing that I've learned, that when you don't deal with the underlining emotion that comes from these kinds of experiences, you are doomed to repeat that behavior in some way, some shape, some form. Absolutely. It's no surprise that second marriages, 70% of second marriages end in divorce because there's still stuff that we haven't quite dealt with Mm -hmm. that keeps showing up in our existence and then we're wondering, like, why am I still attracting the same person? Because when you just said, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> there is an underlying emotion here that I have not completely dealt with. And because I haven't, the same stuff keeps showing up mm. in my relationship. So mm-hmm. resentment is the big word for me. Hmm. It's the big word for me that I discovered is in the background running the show of my life. Interesting. And talking with you about it, that's why I'm having this visceral response because 
it's coming up for me and and I and I need to let it come up because some of the so so I've had a few boyfriends <laughs> since my divorce and what I've discovered is that there's a theme with them all and it is back to this submissive thing like mm. in some way they're the leader and what they say is how I should respond how I should follow and there was one recent guy that I was seeing um, and he in a in a conversation we were having thank god it was over the phone he started <laughs> raising his voice at me oh like he got loud wait like nobody gets loud with me but he got loud with me because he didn't want me he wanted me to follow what he was dictating I should do and there again lies this whole submissive thing and the resentment attached to it mm -hmm. that's bringing up into my uh, my reality stuff I don't want. Yeah. So the way for us to get through and get to a happier, more satisfying life slash relationships is to be able to identify what is that emotion or feeling that I've associated to this experience. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I need to talk through and talk out. Because emotions, E in emotions is energy. Energy mm -hmm. in motion. And when we don't deal with that energy, when we try to hold it in, it causes an internal explosion. Right. And that explosion just spills out on everything. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and we're like, what the hell is going on in my life? Why can't things work the way that I want them to? Mm-hmm. So true. It's so getting true. to the deeper part of this. And that's why swinging back around to, I really am acknowledging you and these other women for talking about your experiences because th that is your way of releasing the energy that you've had bottled up for so long mm -hmm. that has caused a great deal of pain for you and for probably for others that now you're w willing to release. And we get the benefit of hearing it watching it so that we can come to our own release as well. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's, it is amazing to me the kind of solidarity and community and connection that is created by this level of vulnerability. And it makes so much sense when you think about it. And then at the same time, our society is such that that level of connection is not as easy to come by anymore. You know, in some ways, we are connected with more people that we don't actually know, you know, the Facebook friends and, and the like. But then at the same time, we are more isolated than mm. I think we've ever been. And when you think about that as it relates to the church society, I think that when, uh, for those of us who have decided to leave organized religion, that is one of the strongest pain points mm -hmm. because we've always had physical contact, you know, going to a place where everyone that you are associated with, maybe not everyone, but, you know, a good deal of your social circle is in the same building two to three, four times a week. And mm -hmm. then when you decide to remove yourself from that environment, because either you no longer identify with what they're teaching or, you know, you've been hurt or betrayed or, you know, whatever, there's so many reasons why people leave. 
when you leave that environment, that entire society stays in place and now you are on the outs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we were taught within the, at least the Christian churches, is very much this us versus them idea to start with. Well, now you're no longer an us, you're a them. Mm -hmm. And then let's go ahead and add this idea of being divorced on top of it. Because once again, there is yet another layer of further expulsion from community. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like you've been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you look at Saint to Siberia? Exiled. You've been exiled mm-hmm. <laughs> on so many layers and in so many ways. And then, you know, I think that there comes to be this place of like, well, now what? You know, who am I without these roles? Who am I without the identity of being the good Christian girl or the mm-hmm. good Christian wife or so-and-so's wife? You know, whatever whatever the labels are, once you start to strip away those pieces, we're left facing ourselves in the mirror. And sometimes that can be a really scary process because we don't know who the hell we are anymore. Yeah. And it is also... The flip side of that is it is the best invitation one can get, which is to have been stripped of all you thought you were. Mm, Yes. (laughs) And now you have a clean plate and you now can define who you want to be. Mm -hmm. So the question we ask ourselves is true. Who am I? And the answer I would like to give is, well, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? So if we ask that question, it's different. Who am I? And then we go out and we seek others to give us the answer. And then here again, we become crafted by others. Mm, Yes. No, no, no. I would say, let us be, let us stand in our power. You can define who you want to be. Well, I want to be powerful. Great. Then, then be that. Well, I want to be self-loving. Great. Mm. Be that. I want to be forgiving. Go ahead and do that. I want to be self-confident in every situation. Fine. So for me, I started to redesign who I am and define who I am on my own terms. Mm. And I'm grateful. I don't wish divorce on anybody. I don't wish going through this church stuff on anybody. (laughs) But let me tell you, you can take that and make it the best experience you've ever had so that you can become the best version of yourself according to yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I love there is a poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson that is one of my favorites. And he talks about this idea of success and breaks down, you know, kind of society's view at that point, what success meant. And there's a a bit of a question and invitation in this poem, and I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. But the idea is, you know, how do you personally define success? What is it that you want to do and be and have in your life? Because that's really what you should be using as a measuring stick as opposed to what anybody else might think, whether that is the church from which you were raised, your family of origin, your ex-husband or ex-wife, or, you know, like whatever. Whoever doesn't get to determine who we are and who we become. Mm -hmm. And I love that pivot because I think that for so many of us who 
have gone through that journey, we would stand straight with you and say the exact same thing. Especially, I would never wish divorce on anyone. It is a heartbreaking, terrible process. And I'm so grateful for it. And if everything was the same, I would do it all again. Mm, mm. I'm so me now. And I wouldn't have that if I hadn't gone through all of those other experiences. Yeah. You know, I want to go someplace about in this conversation that I hope is okay. <laughs> if not, you cut it out. <laughs> I could just edit it out. And and it's it's it, I want to begin with a question, and then I and then I want to answer it for myself, while others who are listening will answer it for themselves. What? How did the pain? of your experience in church, divorce, manifest in your real life? What, and and I mean in this way, were there some behaviors that showed up that were an expression of the pain or expression of pushing down the pain Mm. that now you have to take a look at and reevaluate or maybe you've come through. So uh, let me be more specific. So <laughs> I can't believe I'm sharing this. I'm going to share this. But I, you know, one of the things that, that I started doing and I was kind of un, not consciously aware of it until it got a little bit out of hand. And that was, I started drinking. Mm. And I would have like one glass, it'd be okay. It turned into two glasses, then a bottle and I, and it kept, and it would it would start it would happen daily daily mm-hmm. until I was having a conversation with a friend and I mentioned this and she said what is the pain that you're mm. trying not to experience I'm like what do you mean what pain <laughs> all is well I'm happy because you know me Tanya <laughs> I'm happy I'm a free spirit. I'm energetic. I mean, this is just naturally me. So I'm like, there's nothing. Everything's great. Until she dug a little bit deeper. And then we got to this whole resentment thing. This is why I'm stuck on this resentment thing. Because I couldn't face the pain of that. Mm. And so instead of facing it, I would have glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. Day after day after day after day. And I wonder if your listeners have, whether it's the pain of divorce or whether it's the pain of the church experience, but whatever it is, not really dealing with it and instead medicating it. Mm-hmm. Now, mine was wine, and I do love wine. I'm not going to lie. I love red <laughs> wine. My favorite is Merlot followed by Pinot Noir. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. Yes, but I was using it inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the, I think there are so many possible answers, even just when I look at my own life and, you know, the journey that it's been, because I think that when I really started to pull things out and really, you know, peel layer by layer by layer back and started to see the crossover and the connection from my experience in marriage to then this foundation in the church. And, you know, then again, it wasn't, it wasn't any one thing. 
it was also a compound effect because mm. shortly after the second marriage, well, actually, at the end of the second marriage, I was still involved in the church. And it's mm -hmm. the same church I had been at for, what, 10 years? And for me, I mean, I moved around like crazy all the time. I, I moved 16 times before I graduated high school. So mm -hmm. this was the longest I had ever been in a part of one community my entire life. Mm -hmm. So not only was I ending the second marriage, Shortly after, because of the way that went down, which I'll explain in a second, I also chose to leave that community and I left that church. Wow. So I, in, in many ways, I was losing just about everyone in my world. And yet at the same time, I was finding a freedom and I was finding a reconnection to myself. So, you know, like you said earlier, you know, the the even in the deepest pain, there is so much possibility for growth and for newness and for joy. So you do have to be able to I think that's a learned skill. You know, you have to be able to embrace what is and what is to be and be mm -hmm. able to, you know, kind of direct that. Um, but to the the idea of why why the church was involved in that that second little bit, um, the the guy that I had married was not churched up until the time when when we got together. And uh, long story short, he painted the picture that I was choosing my marriage over our blended family. And so we are in the pastor's office, and he is the same pastor who married us, and he is the same pastor who came to my aid when things really went off the rails at the end of marriage number one. So, you know, we've got a long history here together. Yeah. And uh, fast forward, just some very um, unfortunate conversations that came from, you know, across the, across the table of if God were asking you to give up your business for your marriage, would you? And everything about that question brought me back to the moments I made choices in my first marriage to walk away from who I was in order to be the good Christian wife. Mm -hmm. So putting all of those experiences together, it like just fired me up in a way that, you know, very much felt like it wasn't just me. You know, I truly felt that as I opened my mouth, it wasn't just my words that were coming out. There was a there was a righteous anger that was coming along with that. But at the same time, I was very calm. I was very direct. I knew exactly what I was saying, even though I didn't really know what I was saying. But, you know, the, the idea being, I feel more of God in me when I'm sending a bride down the aisle than I do in that room most Sunday mornings. So don't tell me that God is going to ask something of me when you know nothing about what you're speaking of. And it was just this idea of like, how dare you <laughs> try and be God in this moment? And I needed that moment to happen in order for me to clearly see that I do have my own connection with God and I do have my own direct thing. I don't need someone else to influence me or to tell me, you know, how that's going to work. Having said that, to get to your back to your original question, having left that community, I definitely wallowed for a bit. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, I can't go to church because I don't believe what's being told. I still love God. But I'm kind of pissed off with him right now. Yeah. And I don't know if it's my fault or if it's his fault or if it's both of our faults, but this is not what I wanted. And, you know, I, I went into a tailspin on that um, after both divorces, for that matter, mm -hmm. of just, you know, 
what happened? Like, where's my happy ever after? I was a good Christian wife. I did all the things that I was supposed to do. Why am I the one who is hurt and a victim and, you know, all of these things and so isolated? So that took some time to work through, and it looked like a lot of different things um, to answer your original question. I'm sorry for the long rambling here. No, um, good. Wine was definitely involved. Um, random, I won't even call them boyfriends, uh, random dates, let's say that. Okay. Um, that was definitely involved. And I think part of that was because I was always such the good girl. You know, my, my kid's dad was the first man that I slept with. And mm. we divorced um, when I was, what, early 30, 31. So I didn't actually start drinking until I was 31. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a part of me that's kind of like, I've got time to make up for. Because that whole thing <laughs> of, like, people being rebellious in their teens and their 20s, I didn't get to do that. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit different when you, first of all, still have all that programming 30 years worth. And you're now a single mom working two jobs, trying to keep all the pieces moving. Like, even then, the rebellion really isn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it, it took a lot of different turns. And I think one of the most interesting ones, there was a bit of, I don't want to say necessarily an addiction, but there was a desire in me to learn and to be validated for learning. So when I first discovered this whole idea of, you know, personal development and even framed as business development, that took me on a journey that was constant for a good eight, nine years, conferences and trainings and workshops. And they're all wonderful. And I met some really wonderful people and I learned some really great things. And at the same time, how much of that was me trying to be recognized for being brave, for going out there and making things happen, Mm -hmm. for, you know, getting the gold star, because I really like my gold stars. Uh, You know, how much of that was was fear driven Mm -hmm. as opposed to growth driven? Did you come to an answer to that? <laughs> yeah, actually, I have. Um, and it's just been within the past couple of years. Uh, I am far more selective now about what I do with my time and energy and money. I will always be a fan of live events and and conferences and training. I mean, hello, I was an event planner for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, there is something about that shared experience and being able to have that in common with someone and at the same time using it as a self-reflective tool. Having said that, I think it requires an added layer of self-awareness and discipline to really truly sit with yourself and ask the hard questions. Why are you going to this conference? Is it because you value the people that you're going to meet? Is it because you want the FaceTime and the recognition for that? Or is it possible that you're going because you feel like there's a piece of you that's missing and you're looking for this to fill it instead of standing on your own two feet mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. able to be fully who you are without that external experience? Interesting. And it's interesting that you would question that when you're doing something so self so building the oneself, you know? I mean, if if you were to say to me, I you know, like you were doing drugs or something to deal with your issue, then we were like, whoa, that's that's pretty deep. But you were going to conferences to develop yourself and improve yourself. 
And I, and it sounds to me as I'm listening, like that's a total win-win, you know what I mean? Like it can it, be, yeah. it can be, but it can also be a way to hide because hmm. that's, that's pretty much what I got to. Really? Is, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating, Tanya. I think, especially for those of us that, you know, I've known for a long time, like I knew that recovering church girls needed to happen for over a year and it uh. took me time to make it happen. But there were some other, you know, stories that, that cross over into that. And I think part of it was also I chose to take on clients whose events and communities took precedence to mine because they were paying me. And I needed to, you know, give them. So basically, like for me, it became a way to hide in the background ah, instead of saying, yeah, recovering church girls, speaking, writing, single parent summit. These are where I need to be placing my time and energy. And instead, here, let me go to next week's conference. I see. So you were putting off what you knew you were you were called to do. But you were like, you're doing a good thing. I'm going to conferences. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, isn't that the whole thing? It's like, oh, wait, but there's something else you're supposed to be doing. Well, that you're isn't not. that so, like, good Christian girl of me? Like, I'm doing all the right things. Like, again, give me all my gold stars. Wow, that's really insight, Tanya. Well, that's I think insight. about, too, like, I was thinking about our conversation for on the Recovering Church Girls that we had with um, Shane Snow and thinking about his time in his mission for the Mormon Church in Newark, New Jersey. And he was talking about the community service aspect. And I remember thinking about that of like, oh, how fascinating, because you're getting the accolades for yeah. doing the community service, but there is a disconnect between you know, the idea of the evangelical piece of that versus the actual making a difference in the community. And even too, the idea of short-term missions, which I did as a high schooler, you know, what good did we really do by going to a third world country and putting on a skit about Jesus? Did we really do any good? Or could we have been planting a farm? Could we have been drilling for clean water? Could we have been doing something that was more practical with all of those time, with all the time and the money that we raised? These are the things that, you know, I kind of wonder about now, again, because of the way I was raised, boy, I was still doing good work, like still get those gold stars, but really, what am I really doing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What are you really hiding? Yeah, that's, that's deep. That's really, and, and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, now nah, I, I too have been to tons of training and development and growing to self and enlightened warrior and all this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, am I, am I <clears throat> going to all of these conferences and things because there's something I am not completely confronting mm. and I'm not looking at completely hiding behind perhaps and and you know i'm gonna have to take a look at that because i would probably rather go to a conference than to call individuals and say listen i can help you get clarity about your next steps in this divorce Mm. i can help you see what you don't see i can ask the probing questions that will get you to the clarity that you desire no i won't do that but I will go to Tony Robbins' conference. 
Or at least the nipples. Um, Either of those, but I would go, you know? Right. Well, and don't get me wrong. Like, I think that there is so much good and there's so much gold in those experiences and and really being intentional about your growth because I think they go hand in hand. You know, until you're exposed to a new way of thinking or a deeper – dive or a new spin or, you know, whatever the case might be, how would you ever know to ask yourself those questions? But at what point in time does the transition happen where you graduate from the audience, I guess is really the question. That's a great question. So what point in time do you graduate from the audience? That's a great. (laughs) And to be fair, you know, the audience is going to change every time. So while Mm -hmm. I may not fit in the audience in these 10 different events, I still belong in the audience in these 10 different events. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like there's there's a constant evolution. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's exactly what happens both within the Recovering Church Girls community and within the Single Parent Summit. As we continue to change, as we get more information, as we try new experiences, and especially, you know, thinking about on the parenting side, as our kids age, every Everything about our worlds change. So the kinds of parenting things that we need to know now for both of us as, you know, parents of teenagers, that's very different from when your kids are one and two and three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a constant change. And I'm grateful for that because I think that if we were if we were stuck, if we were destined to live in the same way of being, all of this would feel completely futile. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I like what you said, how you segued into the, the kids, because as single parents, the children, raising our children in the, to, to the best of our ability is really, you know, the, the forefront of our, our minds and our desire. And what I would want for my children out of all of my experiences is to thine own self be true. Like Mm. get to know who you are. I like the way you put that with, when do you graduate from the audience? Like I want you to know that you are the audience of one. Mm. And if if, if you make it your business to discover who you truly are, what you truly like, what you truly desire, then that's a really great start. Because I don't know about you, but I, I I would I came out of my mother's womb as a people pleaser, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's neither good nor bad. It's how you use it, right? Right, <laughs> so true. But I and in, I guess it all ties into this submission and all that stuff. Just I want to please. I want the audience to like me. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to approve of me. I don't want to be criticized, and so. I would find myself doing those things that I thought would make the audience, to use your words, accept me. Mm-hmm. And that was very costly. Yes. So for my kids, you're the audience of one. Mm-hmm. Go do you, figure out you. And those who are to be a part of your life to support you in that, they will come along. Yeah. You know, the fakers and the haters it ultimately go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I even bring that back to the idea of how we were raised also, you know, because I had the trifecta between the people pleasing, the workaholic bit and the perfectionist bit. Like, let's go ahead and hit all three. Um, (laughs) Did I mention I like my gold stars? So, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, really, I, I feel like 
I already had those tendencies. I already had that leaning within me. Like you said, came out of my mother's womb that way. And it just is. And I would also go so far as to say that the church environment played on that. Mm. Not necessarily that anyone was sitting behind closed doors, you know, kind of maniacally waggling their fingers and saying, well, ha ha, we've got her now. Mm -hmm. However, um, I can also point to specific moments in my life that someone was actually doing that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what does all of that mean and how do you unpack it? And then what do you do with it after the fact? Because that's really what we're asking. You know, yeah, we've all had pretty shitty things happen to us and we've all had really hard times. We all have, period. And then what? Question mark. Because Mm -hmm. that's really, you know, there's so much possibility. There's so much excitement. There's so much expanse to Mm -hmm. happen if we're willing to do the work to know who we are to then be able to pivot into the next version of ourselves. And I feel like that's really what both of these projects are all about, both the Single Parent Summit and Recovering Church Girls. It's all about the and now what? Mm -hmm. Now where do you want to go? What do you want to do? How do we equip you with not only the resources and the tips and the tools and the inspiration, but say these are the journeys of people that are maybe a step or two ahead of you on the same path, and here's how they've done it. How can we learn? How can we do this together? But yeah, I mean, looking at the whole timeline of my life, and I see so many layers that cross over amongst all of it. So let me ask you, was there any one particular moment that was kind of like your awakening, if you will, or kind of the aha when you started to realize that something in the church environment wasn't serving you in this moment or wasn't what you identified with or believed in? It was 2007 when I had a breakdown on my bathroom floor. Oh, you too. In front of my four kids. Ah. The bathroom floor thing, like I'm telling you, it is a brutal place. I totally hear you. Okay, are you, do you mind telling us about that? I was in the basement of my home with my four kids running around. They were young. My kids are ages back to back. You know, at the time they were seven, six, five, and two. We were in the basement and I don't remember what was going on, but I do remember that I started crying uncontrollable. Mm. I could not get myself together. So I decided to leave the basement, go upstairs to the bathroom so that at least they weren't seeing me fall apart. Locked the door behind me, fell to the ground and cried my eyes out. Mm -hmm. My seven-year-old came up from the basement, very intuitive child, She knocked on the bathroom door and I didn't even answer it, but she could hear me bawling inside. So she got on the phone, dialed her father who was at work and said, mommy is in the bathroom crying and she won't come out. Her father told her, don't worry about it. I'll be home soon. In the meantime, he was gonna call a friend of mine who was in the area to stop by to see if she could be helpful. After I, after a little bit of being in the bathroom, uh, my husband came home. He knocked on the bathroom door, said, Pam, open the door. Mm. 
Pam, open the door. And I ignored him. And the more I ignored, the more he banged on the door until ultimately he stopped banging. Everything was quiet, I recall. And then the next thing I heard was this very soft knock on the door and a voice that said, Pam, it's me, Phyllis. You can open the door. And when I heard my friend with her soft voice, I unlocked the door. She came in, it's a tiny bathroom. It's not like, you know, little tiny closet bathrooms. She squeezed herself in there. She closed the door behind her, locked it, and she fell to her knees mm. and hugged me and just rocked me and said, you will be all right. It's okay. And Tanya, when I tell you that woman came to my rescue, she got me out of that bathroom. We left the house. We drove around. I lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the time. We drove around and she just talked and I just listened. We ended up at a restaurant and we talked over coffee. And that was the moment that I realized that all the years of me trying to be this person, mm. because that was the Christian thing to do, the expected thing to do, what had ultimately brought me to a breakdown. Mm. It was in that Sometime later, after I collected myself, I realized it's either do or die. I'm either going to recover or I'm going to raise some effed up kids because they're watching their mother in a complete, because I was a wreck. I was a wreck before the breakdown. The breakdown was just the culmination of all of the wrecked feelings and experiences that I was going through. So that was my awakening. That's the long answer to your very succinct question question. It was that breakdown that was my awakening that I had to re-examine my life, mm -hmm. who I am, and what I wanted. You used that word earlier. What do you want? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And many of us don't know. We're just in default mode. Yeah. But at the moment we stop and ask ourselves, what do you really want for yourself and for your life? then the path begins to unfold of what's possible. Mm -hmm. You've got to first ask, what do you, W-A-N-T, not what do you not want. Right. What do you <laughs> want? That's the, that's the burning question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, first of all, just for sharing that moment with us because, Ooh. man, I can, I'm right there with you on the bathroom floor. Uh, yeah, I had that moment, and mm -hmm. I understand what it was like to be there. So thank mm. you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so yeah. grateful that Phyllis was there for you uh, and to be able to give you not only that space, but also the comfort and just to know that you weren't alone in that moment. Because I think so many of us, when we have that unraveling, you know, we don't always have anyone to, to lean on or to be able to, you know, kind of have as that, that counterpoint. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we get to have people with us all the time and do the hard stuff for us. But, you know, when we can get those people, that's a really wonderful thing to have. Yeah. 
Amen to that, sister. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And I love this idea of identifying what we want because I think that, you know, for me anyway, I went into survival mode. I went into, you know, the whole like fight, flight, or freeze. I am a fighter baby. And I have, that's where I've been for the last, call it, 10 years of my life. And I think that too, again, moving so often, there was always that piece of, you know, was I ever really fully present wherever I was? Or did I always think that maybe it was time for me to move again? Mm. You know, there's definitely something there that I don't know that I fully dug deep into yet. But I wonder you know, how long I've been keeping people at arm's length and mm. and how quickly I built that wall around my heart. And am I willing to take it down or is it always there? And maybe just sometimes I change whether it's opaque or see-through. <laughs> like, I don't know. These are, these are the things that I'm wrestling through now because yeah. I think that's just it. You know, like the work never ends. And there's a part of me that like, oh, dear God, could I please just arrive already? Could I be done with the work? And the answer is no. <laughs> it's just no. Like, you know, I think they, um, I think about it as a mountain and the idea that we start off at the base and this mountain continues to grow. But as we're going around on this journey, we come back to the same vista. We have the same point of view, but we're at a little higher elevation. So we can see problems differently. We can solve them more quickly. We have a new appreciation of the things that we couldn't see before because we weren't high up enough before. Mm -hmm. And then we continue the journey and we go around the base of the mountain again. But this mountain is growing at the same rate that we are. So, you know, yeah, we're getting higher, but I don't know that we're ever going to reach the summit, but I'm finally at the point where that's okay because the journey in and of itself is so freaking rewarding. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, maybe I'm a geek in this way. I like doing the inner work. I, I, enjoy, I think that's part of what you describe as a journey. I like the journey of the inner work because each step is its own revelation of something. Oh, I didn't see it that way. Oh, you know how, you know, when you're driving down the street is a different experience when you walk down the street, mm-hmm. you see stuff you never saw before. And, and I know that for me, what I want, I want to always do the work. I don't always want to do the same work. Yes. So at some point, I need to get that lesson and move on to something right. else. And something <laughs> That's a great new, distinction. Fresh. <laughs> when I find myself going around the same circle, not getting anywhere, I have to stop and ask myself what's going on on the inside such that I'm in the same place six years later. Come on now. <laughs> There's something going on and it's not anybody else's fault. I need to take a, it's not even my fault, but I take responsibility and I need to take a look at what's going on here. And typically, if you can get to the emotion, Mm -hmm. then that unlocks the key and the answer is found there. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm always asking, what do I want? And what is the feeling that I'm having that's either serving me or not serving me? What do I want? What is the emotion that's serving me or not serving me? Those usually help me get to the lesson so I can move on to the next beautiful scenery. (laughs) Right. And I love that these are the questions you're asking because I know, or at least I can imagine because we had a very similar experience, how much work it took to get to those questions. And to be more specific, when you grow up as a woman in the Christian church, first of all, you're not told to want anything. 
um, because you know you're just your opinion does not matter at least not to the level that a man's does and again let's not forget that we are supposed to submit our wants to him because his wants his needs always are going to triumph over ours so we'll start there and then get into the idea of what you're feeling well you can't rely on your feelings you cannot trust your physical body or how those emotions may be showing up in your physical body because really the only thing you can trust is us because we are going to tell you what what the word of God says about how you should live your life. So the idea that you've been able to go through all of these experiences and narrow it down and boil it all down to the questions being, what do I want and what am I feeling? And is that serving me or not? That is gold. And that speaks so highly of the work that you have done to undo all of that other programming. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, honestly, the the lessons i think i think god universe however people want to frame it it's always given us an opportunity to look within mm. and in our in the key is to look within no matter how that offer comes like the, the, the offer to look within may not come in a pretty package and no one may walk up to you and say look within you know it might not be that <laughs> obvious but but the wants and my the reason I'm sharing this is because I just stum- I stumbled into the power of want because my daughter I have four children so my third child daughter was that child who would never do what I wanted her to do. <laughs> One day when she was uh, I asked her, "Would you please clean your room? I will be back." I came back 20 minutes later. Her room was the same mess, if not worse, than when I left her. I said, Winter, why are you not doing what I asked you to do? And her response to me, every time this would happen, her response was this. Because I wanted to play with my dolls. Because I wanted to watch TV. Because I wanted to whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And Tanya, when I tell you, I would be enraged when she would say, because I want, like, you don't get, who told you Mm. that what you want matters? I told you what to do. Mm. So if anything, you should want to do what your mother tells you to do. No, she's like, no, I wanted to do something else. When I locked into why, why is it that every time she says, I want, I get enraged. What is going on within me? I always have to ask that question. What's going on inside of me? And I came to discover this because when I was growing up and when I was in church and all this, what I wanted did not matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. As you were saying, it doesn't matter what you want. Mm. When I took on, what if I just played with, I want. I'm just going to make up stuff. I want. And here's what happened. It's true. Is, and it happens to this day. I started testing this want thing with silly stuff. I want a parking space right in front of the grocery store door. <laughs> you know, where the time of day where everybody is grocery shopping, you know, as moms, we got certain times we got to get in the store and out. And it was crowded. There were no parking spots. So I said, I want a parking spot right here in this aisle I stopped, I flipped on my blinker, and I waited. In less than a minute, someone was pulling out. I thought, oh, that was a coincidence. Then I tried it again. 
And again, and again, and every time, Tanya, a car was either already pulling out or someone was coming to their car to pull out for me to get the spot. And all of a sudden I had a, (laughs) there's something to the want. Mm -hmm. God wants us to want. Mm -hmm. That matters. And now that's why I'm, I ask myself that question, what do you, sometimes I forget because I go back into the default of people pleasing mm-hmm. and what I learned, but I ask myself, what do you, in fact, the book that you mentioned, Muddy High Hills, the subtitle being 14 lessons learned from my breakdown, which I already shared, my breakup, which I already shared, and my breakthrough, the breakthrough, there's a chapter in there where I talk about wants matter mm. and they do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was long. I'm sorry. I went all oh my gosh, on that please. One. No, don't don't apologize. Not at all. And I yeah. love specifically that you said also that God wants us to want. Because the first thing that came to my mind was um I wanna say it's I wanna say first John, don't quote me on that specifically, but there is a verse in the Bible that talks about the Father of heaven, the Father of lights, being a good father and wanting to give us good things. Yes. It was so amazing to me is that the more that I walked away from the organized religion and the church environment, the more that I connected with God and universe and spirit and how many verses they keep coming back up to my mind when they really, you know, they're, there's no contextual reason why it should, but it's all there. And there's so much like it's all there. It's all the same thing. And I think somewhere along the lines the church and specifically the men and women involved more men than women really kind of screwed things over for the rest of us. Yes. And I want to say, and I was going to say, I should very quickly say not all churches, because of course you guys already know that we've said that before, but just in case you're new to this podcast, this is not an anti-church podcast, although sometimes it's going to sound like it. It's an anti-being told what to think, feel, see, experience when it comes to your own spirituality podcast on the Recovery yes. Church Girl side. Single Parent yes. Summit. Hopefully you guys already know what we're doing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate you making that distinction because that really is important. Again, we're not bashing. We are sharing our experience and we, we, we really do want people to be liberated. Absolutely. Um, I think, I'm not, I don't think this is a scripture, but um, this is not the one that you were referring to, but there is one, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yes, (laughs) yes. And I mean, there's some other ones in the New Testament I think you're referring to as well. Um, And some people go, well, well, the desires of your heart mean that God puts into you the desires and some people say, no, it's the desires that I have that God will give. Whichever way, I mean, well, I really would agree with what the desires that I have, God will, will bless, God will grant, God will, will, will manifest it in, in whatever way you want to take that. But I think it's important to note that we have desires. Mm-hmm. That's how we are as human beings. And those desires or wants are rel- relevant. Mm-hmm. and are worthy of examination. Right. I don't want to kill the president. I mean, that's not a want, right? We're not talking about silly stuff. We're talking about things that will uplift the human race and uplift one another. Mm-hmm. Um, these, and, and, and we're also talking about silly stuff like a parking spot. Like I think God <laughs> heard that a parking spot mattered to me. Mm-hmm. I think 
if he cares about the every little strand and knows every little strand on my head, then he cares about everything that matters to me mm-hmm. or she. I, it's so funny that you say that because I was just going to say that too. Uh, yeah, whichever gender God is with in this or moment. no gender is cool too. I mean, you know, I've moved. Listen, girlfriend, I have moved out of he got right. He got. I mean, it. You know, that's why I say sometimes the universe because I'm not going to get caught up in all that stuff. Right. Although yeah. if I had to choose a gender, it would be she. I usually lately I've been saying universe or source or spirit. Like just something that identifies something bigger than me that is yeah. both in me and not in me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I'm like, I, uh, definitions are really not, not my jam right now. But I love this idea going back to the verse in, in Proverbs about the desires of your heart, because I would almost say, what if they're actually all the same thing? What if the idea of God giving you the desire is actually a, an end result of you taking the time to get to know yourself. Mm. What if in that scenario where someone else wants to put their external control on this idea, what if it's really actually about a new level of self-awareness that you get then get to identify the God in you is also giving you the inspiration for the desire and will help facilitate the manifestation of that desire. And I know I'm using like super woo woo words here, but you know, again, like what if it's all the same thing? Yeah. I'll take it. I'll sign up for that one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I knew this was just going to be an absolute blast, Pamela Elaine. Thank you so much for your time and just your presence and just showing up as all of you uh, and Mm. sharing all of these journeys with us here. This has Mm. just been really wonderful. Well, I am honored to have spent the time with you, Tanya. You're also a delight to be with. You're so thoughtful, so insightful, so articulate. I mean, the way you explain things just makes it so easy to understand and grasp. And for sharing your truth with me, I am uplifted and refreshed. My day is now going to be perfect. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, that's so sweet of you to say. Thank you. You're welcome. So because this has been kind of this really special uh, edition of the podcast, I'm going to give you information on both, depending on which resonate with you or if actually both do. So you can find everything at tanyaadleta.com. That's also where Recovering Church Girls really lives and so much of the the writing and the podcast that you'll find there. And then the singleparentsummit.com is where we have not only everything that we do for our once a year live virtual event, but we also have our podcast and the blog there too. You'll find all of those on all of the social media, um, but really more importantly than the likes and the follows and the subscribes and the ratings and reviews, and those are all lovely because we all mentioned already me and the gold stars, um, but really the, the biggest wish that I would have in this is that if this resonates with you, that you would share it with someone else who you also think that it would would really make a difference for because you know as much as the accolades are nice it's not really what I'm here for I'm here to make a difference and I'm here to have a safe container for these conversations and just to be fully here so that's what really this is all about so thank you again so much for your presence and for being a part of this journey with us I'll talk to you soon